0: Good afternoon. Uh, it's a September day in Great Falls, Virginia, Northern Virginia. We're here with David J. Lucy, the upstanding rector of St. Francis Episcopal Church in Great Falls, Virginia. I'm Kathy Woolman. I'm the Curious Christian, and it's my privilege to talk with David from time to time about questions that um, Christians and Episcopalians sometimes more specifically have about the way that we practice our faith. So today's episode is, David, do you really think there's a heaven? Why? And what about hell?
1: Why not? No, I I, I guess maybe that's not the way to answer. Um, So I think one of the issues that uh, um, Christians really do have in the back of their mind, we all do, it's the existential question of uh, we know we're going to die, and uh, is that all there is? Um, and religions have actually um, taken various and uh, sundry positions on this uh, over a long period of time. And one of the best books written about this is for the Anchor Bible Dictionary. It's by Alan Siegel, a, a, a Jewish man who's a, who was the head of the religion department at Barnard College in New York City. And um, it's called death in Western culture. And he goes all the way from the ancient Egyptians up through modern times, talking about our views around what happens after we die. Um, and and he, it's very thorough. And um, it added a lot to uh, me um, as I started out my priesthood Siegel's a wonderful scholar, and he, is, he did a lot of dialoguing with Christians, um, which I'm grateful for. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, is uh, what I tell everybody, the Bible really doesn't talk a lot about life after death. Um, it doesn't really talk a lot about heaven as we've conceived of it, at least, in my lifetime from and the lifetime of Christians from the middle of the 20th century onward. So, um, you know, our ultimate disposition in the context of our relationship with God, I think is really important. I think heaven is one of the ways we talk about that. In the New Testament, um, the gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Um, they don't talk about heaven so much. Um, so there are very few scriptural references to it, though there are some, um, and yes, I do believe in heaven and my sort of vague notion about what that may means at this point in my life is that it is a place where I am in a closer presence to God. Um, and I begin to live in a world the way God intended for the world to be, uh, as we talk about in the beginning of the Bible. Uh, I I will also tell you, I am one of those people uh, who thinks that the ultimate promise of the Bible, uh, and I think there's a lot of evidence in the Bible, is not life after death. It's life after the life after death. So the promise of Christianity is resurrection not simply going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that sort of truncated notion became much more popular sort of after the Reformation and into the Enlightenment period. And there are all sorts of popular notions about, you know, airy fairy clouds and all of that sort of thing that we go to. And that's not really when when um, when the kingdom of God is being talked about. That's not the the concept that's communicated in the Bible.
0: what does and, the kingdom of God look like?
1: Uh, well, um, it's not really very clear, but one of the places that there, there are at least a couple of places that we, we can talk about the kingdom of God from the New Testament. Um, one is a parable in chapter 25 of um, in chapter 25 of Matthew, which is the first gospel in the New Testament. Uh, And it talks about um, uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he goes on to talk about how do we know who's going to get into the kingdom of heaven uh, and who's going to go to punishment? Who's going to get eternal life? And it really breaks down to how we treat other people here in this world. So the thirsty, the how the homeless, the the hungry, um, and and so the the, the 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 idea that seems to come out is is more a situation of relationship relationship with with. Uh, other people who are going to the to to uh, eternal life and with God and with Jesus, um, the the same thing is true in the Gospel of Luke. There's the there's the story of Dives and uh, Lazarus. So Dives was a rich man, um, and he would pass by Lazarus each day going into uh, the temple. Lazarus was poor and covered by sores, and only the dogs. Were his friends, and he was ignored by the rich man. And when they die, they go to paradise. Now, it's not heaven, it's paradise. And D- Dives goes to torment, and uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and uh, they discuss this uh, thing that happens. And, you know, uh, there's nobody else in the story for Dives, the rich man. Um, He's there alone in torment and looks up and sees across the divide. He sees uh, uh, Lazarus and says, hey, dude, can you help me? And Can you dip your your finger in the water and and give me a drop? And and Abraham responds that you can't. There's a divide that's been created Mm -hmm. and we can't reach across it. Mm -hmm. And... um, and then the story goes on. The rich man says, well, can can you do me a favor? Can you send uh, Dives down, uh, excuse me, Lazarus down to go tell my brothers and warn them that they got to straighten out? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the answer uh, from uh, the uh, uh, heavenly uh, embodiment is, well, they have the law and the prophets. If that's not enough to convince them, I'm sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, n- neither will a vision of of Lazarus do it either. And if you go into that tale, it's really interesting because Dives is still trying to boss Lazarus around and ignore his humanity. And here's Lazarus who finally gets to rest in this place where. So I don't know that we can talk so much about what it looks like as much as we can talk about what it might be like Mm -hmm. and it's more relational than uh you know uh physical although there is a place in the book of revelation everybody's favorite book i know because it's completely uh interpretable but uh in revelation in chapter 21 it gives this image the sea the, the 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 person, uh, John, who's the person receiving the vision says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the Holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. So what I love about that image is heaven's not out there somewhere. Heaven comes to be with us. And God comes to be with us, and he's wiping away our tears. I mean, that's intimate and relational. And so there's something more about how we interact with each other than heavenly cities and all this other stuff, although Revelation goes on to describe what the New Jerusalem will look like, and it's pretty amazing. Um, But the real intense part is there is that we are going to be in this relationship with God himself, Mm -hmm. and that there will be no separation Anymore. Now, I don't know exactly how that comes out and how that happens. Um, more about it in Revelation. It's really uh, tough to interpret some of these things. Um, I think a lot of the language is is specifically metaphorical because it's a it's in some ways beyond our imagining.
0: David, um, yeah. you've introduced a couple of other concepts here. One is paradise as opposed to heaven, right? And resurrection as sort of the the fruit of Christianity. Right. right. So at, at, at some point, is there an Armageddon and then the resurrected appear? Because we can't be running into resurrected relatives here on Earth. That would be inexplicable, right?
1: Well, that that would be. Um, so a few things. Paradise, we think, was um, a s- synonym for heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Um, and the kingdom of heaven, by the way, even in the Old Testament is where God lives, not where we live uh so I think it's 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 a synonym and and that's helpful. I also introduced this idea concept of resurrection so one of the things that happened at the end of of the story of Jesus is after his crucifixion he was placed in the grave, he was there for three days, but not thirty six not uh what is that? Seventy-eight hours? I've forgotten. I can't do the math, but it's it's actually probably about twenty hours because it's Saturday. It's Friday evening to Sunday morning. I see. But it's three days, and uh, and 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 then the disciples. Uh, well, first the women. The women disciples go to the empty tomb. Are they go go? They go to the tomb where Jesus is to uh, um, perform rituals around. Uh, anointing his body and cleaning it, which they would have done but could not do on Friday night. When they get there, the tomb is empty. And uh, each of the Gospels has some uh, sense that uh, the women were panicked about this in three of the Gospels. Uh, at least one, sometimes two angels are there to talk to the women and tell them what uh, what what's happening and what to do. In the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, um, um, Mary, Mary Magdalene sees a man in the garden, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, uh, or the garden where uh, the tomb was. I, the Gethsemanes, where Jesus mm-hmm. prayed before he was arrested, and um, and she begins to talk to him and realizes it's Jesus. So the stories talk about a resurrected body um and Paul talks about it a lot there's a chapter in Rome Romans where he really gets into the resurrected body and also in second Corinthians um you know where it's the seed dropped in the ground and, you know when it comes out as wheat it doesn't look like it did when it went in the ground and so Paul begins to talk about a thing called a spiritual body and that's where his vocabulary begins to run out on because what is a spiritual body we don't know Um, But it's like Jesus's body. And if we can take the stories in and around that to heart, then Jesus's body could show up sort of like out of nowhere. Uh, It was capable of going through walls. Um, And I love the image because a faithful man once said to me, you realize he can go through walls, not because he's insubstantial, but because the walls are less substantial than he is. So, uh, you know, that's uh, one of those uh, ways of expressing this continuity with ourselves after death, but different as well. New creations like the new heaven and the new earth is described in Revelation. So this resurrection thing is the ultimate hope is that we are going to be recreated as God wished us to be with perfect bodies and uh uh, whatever those bodies really are um because
0: when am i like when am i likely to run into my resurrected nana or parents i mean
1: well the general resurrection so as far as the theology of the church is there was a concept within parts of judaism about a general resurrection that by the time of jesus was a theological concept that existed not all people held it um, many of the priests who worked in the temple did not have that idea. Um, partly, their dedication was to the the five books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, uh, and life after death is not a concept in the Pentateuch. So, not even so you can't even get to resurrection in the Pentateuch, and so they didn't hold that. But some of the Pharisees did, and uh, not all probably it's complicated because like Christianity today it's all jumbled up and mixed up so lots of stuff is running around but embedded in that is this idea of general resurrection when we would when God would restore the earth in a way that he had created the earth and um, and so the thing that was odd about the thing that happened to Jesus is for those people who believed in the resurrection there was no talk about somebody uh, getting a head start on the resurrection by showing up before the general resurrection occurred. And, um, and so the, the, and by the way, it's interesting because if you look at the Bible, there's a thing called angel morphism, you know, angels showing up. Um, It's talked about in Daniel, which is one of the books that was pretty popular probably around the time of Jesus. Um, it's a, it's a book that holds this concept called the son of man who sits on the right hand of God. And, (laughs) and, uh, we stole that. I mean, we borrowed it from the Jewish tradition and, and transported it right into the, the, uh, Christian tradition. And, um, and so the, uh, the son of man concept in this, and this angel morphism concept means that we become like angels, but that's not the word that was chosen in um, in the New Testament. It was resurrection, which is also really a word that's introduced more completely and fully in what we call intertestamental literature. Um, what's that? So there's there's yeah, oh, oh man. So there's the Bible, and we have all these canonical books. And I guess now we have to go into confession. Um, If you go to the Roman Catholic Bible and you set it aside, the traditional uh, 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 Protestant Bible, will exclude the Episcopal Church because we're, of course, we're special. Um, But if you look at the two, you're like, how come there are these books in this, in the Catholic Bible that aren't in the, in the uh, Protestant Bible? And that's the intertestamental literature. Those were books that were pretty certain were written between the classical period of the prophets and the time of Jesus. Many of them were written in Greek, not Hebrew, or Aramaic, not Hebrew, classical Hebrew. By that time, classical Hebrew was uh, less uh, available to your average Jew. Um, Many of the Jews who lived in the diaspora spoke Greek and didn't speak Hebrew at all. So if you were to go to Alexandria, which is where one of the largest populations of Jews in the ancient world lived, uh, many of them, they, they, were, they were Hellenized at the yin-yang. Uh, they were not as Palestinian. So they've been living in that environment for years. So they chose a word, resurrection, which has different implications than angel morphism. So I think they were trying to express this understanding of embodiment which is part of the human uh, concept of Judaism and early Christianity that is really important, that somehow our spirits are really only fulfilled when connected to a body. Um, And so they go together. We're created beings. We're not just spiritual beings, although we have massive spirits. And and so um, trying to deal with resurrection and life after death is all of these things. Um, because uh, I guess at some level they exist outside of time. So the the opportunity for us to bump into relatives being resurrected is not going to happen until the general resurrection. That's the theology. So when everybody's raised from the dead and then there is in the book of revelation, as we heard in that story in and around the, the, the sheep and the goats, there is some sort of judgment that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And, 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 most Christians, theologically, Paul was an advocate of this idea, um, thinks that once we have acknowledged that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, whatever our deficiencies are before God are covered by his perfection and his sacrifice. So, um, what, so
0: what would you say is the through line here? If I'm trying to be a good Christian and I go sure. to heaven what do I need to do and where do I end up? How long do I stay there? And how do I opt into the general resurrection?
1: How, how do I opt in? Uh, well, for those people who, um, so it, again, it's complicated. So if you're Episcopalian and Roman Catholic and Orthodox, you have been baptized and that we're, that is a sacrament and it's an outward and spiritual sign of the inward and spiritual grace that God uh, has been awakened in you through the Holy Spirit. And that means that you accept Jesus as Lord and that you wanna follow the ways of God by following Jesus and the ways that Jesus lived. So my best, my best idea is, is uh, once that's happened to you, what you try to do is love your neighbor as yourself and live that out in its with integrity and uh knowing that and we cover this in the uh episcopal um church knowing that when we sin we just need to confess return to god's ways so repent which means turn around and walk back toward god which is important so the, you know the perfection doesn't come from us it comes from god and God's faith in us and the work God does in us. So prayer, practicing, uh, loving your neighbor, you know, uh, all those good things you can do, work in a soup kitchen or a a food pantry, Um, work with other sort of places where people at the margins are being helped, aided, fed, clothed, those sorts of things. Those, Those are the things embedded in the story of the sheep and the goats. You know, even if you give a cup of water to one of these, the least, who's really thirsty, You're doing God's work, and and there's no sense that you will be doing it perfectly all the time, but it's something you give yourself over to, and salvation comes from God, not from us, and it's not something you work toward in the sense that I can earn it. It's something you work at because you know that God loves you, just like when you love someone else or someone else loves you, you want to please them and be the kind of person uh, they think you are. And um, imagine you to be. So it's, it's, it's not an easy path. If you're, by the way, if you're an evangelical Christian and you can be an evangelical Christian within the Episcopal Church, one of the thing, experiences you might have is an awakening of the Holy Spirit in you that you sense. And it may have occurred before or after your baptism. But it's this sense that the Holy Spirit is, is in you, that you are assured in deep ways that God loves you. And that Jesus um, did His work not only to save the whole world, but because you're a part of the world, He's saving you too. So we stand before God under the the grace of Jesus and the work He did, and then we can talk someday about what all that's about because Jesus is, you know, kind of a complicated concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So on the on the. The through line, my, yeah, my physical body dies, right? And uh, we're recording this podcast on the day that Buckingham Palace announced the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, may God sure. rest her soul. A, a long life where she enjoyed great wealth, um, and also did remarkable things for people who had no means, right? So, uh I I die in the same kind of state of grace and having lived the kind of life that she's lived. What happens next when my physical body dies?
1: That's the most uncertain part of this. So there is a concept of the sleep or the rest of those who have died um, in grace um, because your resurrection hasn't happened yet. Um, and you're somehow encompassed in the love and comfort of God, and um, and so that's a holding pin before resurrection. Here's what we don't know. <clears throat> Where and when does resurrection really occur? Now, I know there's all sorts of, and I grew up with this, so when I was 15 years old, I think I could have told you a specific date in the future when all that was going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm not, a, uh, I, I don't hold that sense of certainty anymore. I'm 65 now, not 15. So you do the math. Having said that, um, you know, the 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 time in which God lives is the eternal present. So, you know, we don't know if the resting period is, uh, you know, would be short by any stretch of the imagination. Um and that it's the, you know, the resurrection's already going on because God lives in the eternal present or not. So I can't exactly tell you, but resting in the sleep of God, I think I'd be good with that, uh, you know, for for a long time. Um, you know, uh, it, it's funny because time is really a, a, you know, part of our created order mm-hmm. um, and is one of those difficult concepts that we're really still not certain about. I mean, you hear physicists talking about the fact that somewhere out in the world, something you did, you know, um, uh, has diffused its way through the atoms out to far reaches of the universe. And I'm like, "Eh, well, maybe. Anyway, (laughs) but I I I get it. So we're very, we're very focused as humans on the physical and the time we spend here. And we're looking for you know, an order of magnitude that we could comprehend and a fair amount of this is incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a wonderful passage in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians where he talks about being lifted up to the third heaven and he says, and I saw amazing things and I'd tell you about it, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably can't because not only because we don't really have the experience for it is the vocabulary wouldn't work. So, okay. you know, that's, that's, that's part of what... What we're talking about here. I think the assurance is God has faith in us and God will sustain us eternally because God has that power. And that the experience of the relational experience and the other experiences of resurrection and whatever that um, sleep uh, between death and resurrection is like will be something wonderful. And um, and amazing and um, sort of beyond what we could possibly uh, ask or imagine uh, um, in, in this life. Mm-hmm. So. Um.
0: Well, um, lots of questions. Um, I hope listeners of the podcast will um, generate questions that will help steer through this very important part of our faith. Um, And I look forward to that dialogue. In the meantime, though, we're gonna move to our lightning round in which we we get to know the upstanding record a little bit better. So David, what's the best job you ever had? Besides this one, of course.
1: Besides this one. And when you mean this one, this calling in this place and time, or uh, this being a priest wherever I've been. (laughs)
0: Oh, well, you can, you can diplomatically tiptoe around that one.
1: Okay, good. Uh, So the best job I ever had, um, I think, besides this one was my first two years at the Bank of New York, because it was still the Irving Trust Company. And I had a great team of people to work with. And, and, you know, I got up every morning, and it was fun to go to work. Um, It was crazy Time it was you know eighty six and eighty seven and mm-hmm. there was a big market crash in eighty seven and things recovered but it was you know I, I was having fun in New York wow. yeah
0: yeah and what's what would you say is the worst job you ever had?
1: Um, I uh, so I uh, did a summer job. Um, it taught me a lot, but I worked on a you know a a um. A, pl- a place on the, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the colonial pipeline. So uh, there's a there was an oil company, it's called Tenneco Oil, and they had a, a set of storage tanks on the colonial pipeline and they needed to be cleaned, painted. Um, you had to go into pits and things like that to, you know, uh, fix things. Um, and it was uh, in um, around Chesapeake, Virginia, and it was, you know, generally about ninety five degrees during the day with uh no air conditioning to be in and uh yeah it was it was it's smelly uh gross um, hot work um, and uh yeah it was, wow. it was it was it was a it was a tough job I learned a lot uh, I learned one of the things is I didn't want to do that the rest of my life
0: right yeah right and toss off question favorite dessert
1: favorite dessert. Well, my favorite dessert, if I could eat it, would be blueberry pie with maybe a slice of cheese or a little mm-hmm. vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. but uh, as confession, I am afflicted both by type 1 diabetes and celiac, so oh. i I can only receive them ocularly, which oh. anybody in the Catholic Church will understand. I get to look at it <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I really taste it yeah.
0: So I was thinking about the best job I ever had, and um, it's it's a bit of a tie. I had a government job where I was responsible for a telecom policy uh, related to wireline phones. Remember them? Yeah. And um, it was a great team of people, and um, you know it just felt great to go in and sort of empower them to do things and you know protect them from the politics of what people might not like about that decision making process but you know that was my job and I, I I really had a lot of respect for those people at the Federal Communications Commission and then the the other one that's tied for best job is I, I had a summer job working in a bookstore it was the evening shift I worked like five to nine and it was uh, in a you know little Boston suburb and there was not a lot of foot traffic so once I finished my manual tasks as assigned. I could pull a book off the shelf and sit behind the register and, um, and read a book. And it was awesome.
1: Oh man, I'm jealous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'd say the worst job I ever had was, you know, there's a lot of, I grew up in Massachusetts, there's a lot of defense subcontracting. So you had lots of little small businesses, tiny small businesses, um, that would hire, you know, high school students or kids between college years. And, uh, it was in an unair conditioned um uh old mill setting and um so to accommodate you know the heat problem they wanted to start the shift at six o'clock in the morning and I found I just could not do it I could not get up at five at that age and be someplace fit to work at six so I had to negotiate with them can I please start at seven and they they did accommodate me so so that that was on its way to being the worst job it was it was saved by the bell and my my favorite dessert is key lime pie no hesitation love that love that so there you have it there's there's um heaven and paradise and revelation and um love your neighbor as you you love yourself if you want to go there yeah So we'll be back soon with another episode in the Upstanding Rector and the Curious Christian. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you.